Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast. Our mission of teaching people to love God by showing them how much He loves us starts right now. I'd like to start our Bible study study off with a story I heard the other day. It was a story about three uh, prospectors who found a rich vein of gold in California during the days of gold rush. You guys remember that? It was like, man, it was it was gold there. And they found this amazing, wonderful, I mean, it was full of gold. They realized, wow, what a great discovery. And so here's what they decided to do. They said, oh my goodness gracious, look at this. We found this amazing thing. It's a really good thing. And it's ours as long as nobody finds out about it, right? Nobody finds out. We got to keep it. Everybody keep quiet, right? And so they each vowed that they, listen, we got to take a vow of secrecy. Nobody says anything. Nobody said, you don't say anything. Don't tell anybody. And so they all agreed. They all agreed. And so they headed into town to file their claims and to get equipment necessary to mine the gold. Well, true to their vows, they didn't say a word to anybody. They just went in. And they filed their claim, and they bought their equipment, and they walked on out of the town. But as they're heading back toward their mind, a crowd began to follow them. And so they're looking at each other like, who blabbed? Who said, did you say, no, I didn't say anything, no, I didn't, are you crazy? The reason was, church, was... Because the expression on their faces had given them away. Their faces were aglow in anticipation of the wealth that would soon be theirs. People knew that they must have found something so very special. So guess what happened? The crowd followed them out of town. Their faces glued, just they had a glow so much that people are like, something's up. What are you doing? And so they secretly just followed them out of town. This morning, church, we embark on a brand new series called Simply Jesus. And we're going to walk through the Gospel of John verse by verse. But here's my prayer. Much like our story I hope that this gospel will aglow our faces as we walk out each week. As you leave and you get ready to come to church, people are following you. you got something. What's wrong with you? Why is your face looking like that? And it's because you're going, <laughs> it's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I recall Pastor Alan Redpath once said about this book, guys, if you're taking note, he says, the gospel of John is shallow enough for a child to wade in, yet deep enough for an elephant to swim in. So this morning, guys, here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at three themes, okay? Here's my point. I want to lay out a good foundation in the gospel of John, okay? A good, solid biblical teaching in the gospel of John so that you know what to expect in the coming months. I'm going to give you three themes. You guys ready? If you're taking note, you want to jot down the author. The author, who wrote this? Who wrote the book of John? What's he about? What is it all? I'm going to give you the author. Number two, let's talk about the audience. The audience, who this book was written to. 
right? Very important. Well, I thought the Bible was written to everybody. Ah, we'll talk about that. And number three, the agenda. What was the purpose of the gospel, right? Anytime you read a letter, you want to know what its purpose is. If you're sitting there on the computer and you get one of those, you, you guys know what clickbait is? Clickbait is when they give you this, this amazing title and you're like, oh, I've got to read the article, right? So you click it and it comes out the article and they, they kind of capture you and, and you read the article. But what's your thing? I want to know what the purpose is. Why am I reading this? I want to get to the very point. Well, that's what we're going to do with the Gospel of John. Now, listen, not going to touch, not going to touch a whole lot of the text this week, okay? We won't get into until next week, but we have to do some important work. And I need to set the stage so you can get a good understanding. I need to set the stage. I need to give you introduction. I need to give you plenty of information. So before we move on, here's what I need to do. I need to share with you some misconceptions of about John. These are some things, some misconceptions. You go, what's that? Number one misconception is it's the gospel of John is only for new believers. A lot of people will say that, hey, you got saved, read the gospel of John, it's for new believers. Well, that's a misconception. Now, it's true that most churches do recommend John for new believers. It is true. Read the gospel of John, but the reason is twofold. What's that? Well, number one, out of all the gospels, John was written to solidify your faith. There was a couple of folks in here that raised their hand at Easter service that got saved. John is going to solidify your faith. Read the Gospel of John. You're like, okay. Well, what's the second reason? Well, that so new believers would feel obligated to continue to read through the whole New Testament. They're like, what do I go after John? Continue to read. And you continue to grow in your walk with God. That's the first misconception. Second misconception, guys, is that the Gospel of John is easy. Oh, it's an easy read. It's an easy, but the Gospel is anything but easy. You see, John was an amazing, amazing man, but he was a bit of a mystic. Okay? And you go, what do you mean by that? His writing style is sometimes so abstract, like you'll be reading it, and all of a sudden you'll go, what did he say? And you'll have to go back and look at it again, and you'll have to pull it out, and you'll have to get the Greek text, because he just writes in a, in a whole different, different way. And so again, you think about it, there'll be times in our study when we'll cover 15 verses, and there'll be times when we cover two. We just have to figure out what John is really saying and how it's going to impact us today. Here's why. Listen, I am interested in giving you a solid foundation in the Word of God so that when the winds of life come, you won't be blown over. And you'll have security and you'll have that. So there'll be times when we'll just, okay, how does this apply to me? How does this apply? How does this apply when I'm getting ready to enter college? Why? Because now all of a sudden you're in a brand new environment. How is this going to work when I start a new job? Or how is this going to work in my every? How is this going to work in my marriage? And that's exactly what John's going to do. Misconception number three. Oh, there's not much theology. As a matter of fact, there's, there is more theology in the gospel of John than any other gospel. There's more theology. Note this. The early church fathers considered John, not Paul, a great theologian of their day. You said, I, I thought Paul wrote most of the New Testament. Yes, but the early church fathers looked at John and said, ah, why? Because John, listen to this, guys, he had this uncanny ability 
to communicate truth. And let me, let me just give you my opinion. I think it's because he had a heart of love. When John was very old, you want to know his, I'm going to preach his whole sermon to you when he was very old. What did he say? He would get up here and he would say, just love one another. And that was his whole sermon. So, he was a great theologian. Let's jump into our text, guys. Um, with that as our intro, uh, let's look at point number one, the author who wrote it. Okay, who wrote this gospel? Good question, Ben. Now, the writer of the gospel is only identified as the disciple whom Jesus loved. Everybody remember that? And you go, wow. And, and isn't that something that you would want on your tombstone? I mean, it's like, he, here's Ben, right? Here lies Ben, the disciple whom Jesus, I would love that, right? That's a great thing. Now, I know some people go, wow, what do you mean? Was he special? Didn't he not love the other disciples? No, no, no. That's just how this gospel is identified. He didn't come out and go, hey, I'm John. I wrote this. I'm John. He says, it's the disciple whom Jesus loved. Now, think about this. Think about that term, the disciple whom Jesus loved. I mean, this could be understood in a couple of ways, right? You go, how so? By the time John wrote this letter... He truly understood the depth of the love of Jesus had for him and for us. He understood it, right? The more you go, Pastor, well, see, the more we walk with Jesus, the longer we're with him, the more we understand how much he loves us. And we could easily say, that's me. I'm the disciple whom Jesus, and the key word is love, because it's so deep. You go, yeah, 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 yeah. See, so the emphasis would be on, on God's, his depth of his love for me. But we all could also say, well, Pastor, um, point number two, I, I know my own heart. Can I get an amen? There was one person, one person was just amen. We know our own heart. And some of you are like, I don't know my own heart. Yes, you do. And that's the point, right? We know our own hearts, guys. And therefore, we can exclaim, he still loves me. I know me. And we are the people whom Jesus really loved. And it's amazing love. It's just amazing love. I mean, I want you to think about that for a second, guys. How deep God's love for us. Do you get it? Well, I struggle with that, Pastor Ben. You know why we struggle with it is because the enemy wants to create doubt of how much God loves us. And I know it's commonplace and cliche when you go, well, I asked Jesus one day, how much does God love me? And he stretched out his arms and he was nailed to a cross and he loved me. That is true, okay? That's how much he loved me. But here's, let's go back Old Testament, okay? Think about the book of Hosea, okay? Hosea was a prophet, right, who was asked to marry a prostitute. God asked him, listen, um, uh, as a matter of fact, he wasn't asked. He was commanded, Hosea, you're going to marry a prostitute. And Hosea's like, what? Are you serious? And God's like, yes. And as a matter of fact, she's going to cheat on you too. And Hosea's like, what did I do to deserve this? No, he didn't say that. But he's he's going, really, why? And he says, as a matter of fact, Hosea, let me give you this. Two of the kids, you're not even going to know if they're yours or not. As a matter of fact, you're going to name one of them. I don't know if it's mine. That's how she's, and you go, well, what was the point? Why would he marry, why would he marry Gomer? Why would he marry this prostitute? Because he wanted to show the depth of the father's love for people who would 
be like Omer. Is that not true, guys? Is it not true that our hearts are prone to wander, to leave the God we love? And that's why we can say, man, we're the disciples whom Jesus loved. Why? I know my heart is prone to wander, and he still loves me. I know how wicked and evil my heart is. I know my thought life. Thank you, Lord. And that's how you can sing, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a... Very good. That saved a wretch. The song doesn't go, amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a rock star like me. It's a wretch. It's a wretch. So John says, I'm, I'm, I'm the disciple whom Jesus loved. Well, who was John, okay? We know that that was John. But we know that he was a Jewish man who basically was an eyewitness of all that Jesus lived. I mean, he hung out with Jesus. That's amazing. We know that he had knowledge of Jewish customs and the lay of the land, right? He was a local boy that knew everything. He knew, he knew the lay of the land, okay? Okay? So he knew where things were. He knew customs. He knew all of this stuff. And that was John. We also know that he was the younger, uh, the youngest son of Zebedee and Salome. Okay? He was the younger brother of James. So how many of you know what it's like to be the younger brother? I mean, you have a big brother. Oh, my goodness. Right? So we know that, right? But we also know, check this out. I don't know if you knew this or not. Yep. Jesus was also cousins with John and James. Jesus was his cousin. I mean, can you imagine? We all hang out with our cousins, and I mean, we all getting in trouble with our cousins. I don't know if James and John got in trouble because Jesus was probably like, no, we're not going to do that. Right? Could you imagine? Could you imagine Solomon? Why can't you be more like your cousin Jesus? Really, Mom? James and John, guys, were, were cousins because Mary and Salome were sisters. And it was just amazing. And these guys lived radical, right? James and John, they were radical. As a matter of fact, you know what they call them? Sons of thunder. Okay, listen to that. Sons of thunder. If I'm going to be called something, I want to be called sons of lightning, right? Lightning can do more damage. Thunder just scares me a lot, you know? But they were sons, and you go, why were they, why were they called sons of thunder? Do you guys remember in Luke chapter nine, right? The unbelieving Samaritans were there, and they're like, hey Jesus, you want us to call fire down on those guys? You want us to toast them? And Jesus is like, are you serious? You're supposed to be my disciple. We're supposed to love each other. No, just kill them. They don't want to believe. Could you imagine? Could you imagine attending that kind of church? Hey, how many of you believe? Okay, fine. Lord, let's toast them. That'll get people saved. That's what they call them, sons of thunder. And, and James and John, that's who they were. They were radical. Well, they get saved. And John goes on to write five books, guys, in the New Testament. He writes the gospel according to John. He writes first, second, and third John. We've studied those. And then he pens um, the book of Revelation of Jesus Christ. He actually pens that. So he writes five books. Now, here are some facts that you need to know. Okay, John was, well, he was privileged to be part of the inner circle of disciples, and he got to see some amazing things. First of all, he was part of the inner circle of four. Andrew, Peter, James, and John, they actually came to Jesus in Matthew 24 and said, Lord, tell us when 
the end of the age is going to be, right? Tell us when you're coming back and when the end of the age is. And I was thinking about that. Isn't that a question we ask even today? Right? Isn't that a question? Lord, when are you coming back? Jesus, when are you coming? When are you coming? Lord, Lord, this world is getting nuts. And we ask that question too, where we go, Lord Jesus, when are you, when is, when are you coming back? Do you remember what Jesus, you remember what Jesus' response was in Matthew 24? You know what the first thing he said? It wasn't about wars or rumors of wars, although he said that. You know what he said? Don't be deceived. And I think we live in a world that's, that's just full of deception, but that's the question we ask. As a matter of fact, you know, the Bible says, um, that in the last days that young men will see visions and old men will dream dreams, right? I had a dream the other night, so I guess I'm getting old, okay? I'm not that old, I guess, but I had a dream. And I had a dream, guys, and this is true, and, and, and I hadn't had one in a long time. If you were here for our Easter service, you know my evangelistic dream, but I had a dream, and, and I was driving in the town that I grew up in, Santa Fe, and, and I was driving in a particular street that I knew, and all of a sudden, guys, I turned this corner, heading down this particular, and I saw these clouds almost like rolling away like this. And I said, wow, what, a, what an interesting phenomenon. And then I saw Jesus coming back. And my heart said, Jesus is coming back for us. And I was like, so, and, 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 and I say this to tell you that this, there's a couple of things, okay? Number one, have you ever had a dream and you're thinking in your dream, I need to remember this dream because this is a crazy dream, whatever it is. And then you wake up in the morning and you forget. You're like, I had this dream and I can't remember. I haven't forgot. I remember it. It was so real. Jesus was coming from the east and he was coming for his church. He was coming. I was like, he's coming for us. And I was so excited. And I remembered that. I remembered that. Guys, guys, listen. Jesus is coming back. And the same disciples that asked that same question as we're asking, Jesus, when are you coming back? When are you coming back for us? Another amazing thing that John got to see was Jesus raised Jairus' daughter from the dead back to life. Can you imagine? Can you imagine? There he is hanging out with Jesus. Jesus walks up to the daughter and says, hey, Lord, she's dead. They're, they're, you know, and people are mourning and crying. And, and you could imagine the thing. And Jesus says, no, she's not dead. Get up. And he sees that. What would you, I mean, that would be like, oh, I think my eyes burned. Are you kidding me? Are you serious? I'd be thinking food additives. I got food additives. Did I just see that? And he got to see someone raised from the, I mean, what would you do? What would you do if you saw somebody raised from the dead? Could you imagine going to a funeral and all of a sudden the guy gets up out of the coffin because Jesus is there? I, I don't know. I'll be like, I'm out. I'm out. I'll be your, I'll be your disciple back here. I don't know none about this stuff, right? The guy gets up, he's like, I'm hungry. Well, I think we got some crackers, something. But you know what I thought about? You know what I thought about, guys? I thought about, isn't that what we're called to do in the same sense? You go, what do you mean? Well, not in a physical sense, but in a spiritual sense. Aren't we supposed to call to love people back to life? 
Well, see, they walk around physically and they're alive physically, but spiritually they're dead. And what we do is we tend to go, oh, you're dead, landing any boo-boo. And we, and we tend to judge them and we tend to push them away. And yet our job is to call, is called to love them back to life. And you go, what does that look like for me? Sometimes that looks like, listen, I can't be around this person, but I'm going to pray and I'm going to fast for their soul. Or sometimes it means you're giving a cup of cold water, quote unquote, in the name of Jesus to help somebody. You're finding a need and you're meeting it. And other times it's spending time with somebody. What's the, what's the precious commodity that we all own? It's time. And when you give it away, you're going to take away from something you could be doing because you're going to love someone back to life. That's what we're called to do. John also saw Jesus in the Mount of Transfiguration. And he heard the voice of God. He heard the voice of God. And you know what words were spoken to John? This is my beloved son. And listen to him. That's a great, great. I mean, isn't that what it's all about? This is my beloved son, Jesus. Listen to him. John was also there in Gethsemane. And he saw Jesus as he was being crushed by the olive press, guys, if you will, and, draw, and sweating great drops of blood. John would have saw that. John was so radical in his faith and love for God that later on it tells us that, that John loved God and people so much that the Roman emperor Domitian ordered him to be boiled in oil. Do you guys remember that? Boiled in oil. And I just could not wrap my mind around. I mean, could you think about this? And the fact is that John didn't even die or get burned or anything. And I don't know what that looks like to you, but can you imagine? Here you got a big pot of boiling oil, and you say, okay, John, get in. John, I'm, I'm thinking if it's me, mm-mm. I ain't going to be, you know, crispy fried, uh-uh. Listen, I, I don't mind dying, but I don't want to be dying. I don't want to die by what? By being boiled in oil. You can shoot an arrow through me, get a sword. I don't care. Let's do this quickly. But that's no fun. But because God was there, John got into this pot of oil that was boiling. And my weird sense of humor was thinking, I bet he was thinking, man, this is a great little, you know, hot tub right here, you know. Turn it up hotter. We need some more bubbles. Come on, this is great. Oh, that feels good on my back. And they're freaking out. They're like, you should be dead. No, you should be dead. Check this out. Anybody got some? Anybody got some potatoes? I can make some french fries. Right? Get some onion rings going in here. This is all good. Well, the problem was, guys, is that this freaked the people out so much that they said, we can't have this guy. He won't die. So what do you do with somebody who doesn't die? You banish him to the island of Patmos. Okay? Let's just get him out there. Let's just leave him alone. In Patmos, guys, listen to me. There was nobody in Patmos, okay? It was, it was empty. It was desolated. It was dry. It was, there was nobody. He was lonely. And you would think, anywhere but Patmos. That's what you would think, right? Anywhere but Patmos. And they said, nope, that's where you're going, to the island of Patmos. But let me give you a nugget of truth, church. Listen to me. Listen. 
Sometimes, right now in your Christian walk, you feel like you're in the island of Patmos. You feel like you're in a dry, deserted, lonely place, and you feel so alone. And see, here's the thing, guys. If you're honest, nobody knows about it. You know about it. Nobody knows. But let me say this to you, okay? Sometimes you feel like in your island of Patmos, only to find that just around the corner is God's greatest blessing to you. You realize that? Because that's where John, he got to see Jesus and and he got to pen the book that we call Revelation. What others meant for evil, God meant for good. And you might be right on the threshold of your greatest blessing. You might be right there, God. God, I feel so. I feel so alone. I feel so dry. I don't know where you are, God. Lord, I haven't heard your voice in weeks. God, please. And you might be right there. And He's going to give His greatest revelation to you at that point. And you'll see your Christian walk just grow and flourish. Pastor, your point, guys. Don't fight it. Don't fight those Patmoses. Just, just go. Expect your blessing. God's fully aware of where you are. He knows right where you are, and he's, and he's right there, and he's going, okay, I finally got her in a place where she can hear my voice. Anybody tracking with me? And you go, why? There wasn't a whole lot of noise on Patmos, was there? There wasn't a whole lot of, a lot of, there wasn't a whole lot of shopping in Patmos. I want a whole lot of busy, 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 and that's 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 our mantra, guys. That's our flag. How's it going? Busy. What's your middle name? Busy. What are you doing? Leave me alone. I'm busy. That's what we do. But but in Patmos, guess what he did? I could hear Jesus. I could hear the voice of God. Jot this down if you're taking note. John was the first to follow and the last to die. He was the first to follow and the last to die. That's who John was. Well, who did he write to? Point number two, audience. Who's his audience? Now, we have four Gospels, guys. We have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Everybody know that, right? And some people would ask, well, why would you have four Gospels? Why four? Why can't we just have one? It's all about Jesus. Why are they so different? Well, let me break this down, okay? Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic Gospels, okay? If you're taking notes, the word synoptic means see together. They're going to see together. And the synoptic Gospels covers much of the same material. Now listen, from somewhat of a slightly different point of view, depending upon who you were writing to. If me and Kevin right here in the front row were going to write about this service, he's going to see it from a different view depending on who he's writing to, and I'm going to write it in a different way depending who I'm writing to. And that's why you would have four, you have four different gospels, okay, or the three that are synoptic. Well, give me an example. Well, who is Matthew, okay? Matthew, he wrote to a different audience. Who's that? He wrote to the Jewish people. Very interesting. His focus was to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Why? The Jewish people kept waiting for the Messiah. And so Matthew comes and says, let me show you that he's the Messiah. Right? You go, how do you know? Well, first and foremost, catch this. Because it was written to the Jews, Matthew quotes from the Old Testament more than any other gospel. More than any other gospel. He quotes 99 times he goes back to the Old Testament. 
And he says, okay, let me show you. Jesus is the Messiah. Let me show you. Jesus is the Messiah, right? Why? Because the Jewish people, guys, would know their Old Testament. You guys know what I'm talking about? They would know it. As a matter of fact, if you were a male, you had to learn the Pentateuch. You had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Memorize. Now, listen, I'm good at memorizing my address, okay? I'm good at memorizing my social security number. Um, I wish I could say I'm good at memorizing phone numbers, but to be honest with you, with these smartphones, I don't know any of your phone numbers. I don't even know. My, like, like, if, like if my life depended on calling my daughter without a smartphone, I'm going to die. I don't know her number. Why? Because we just go, hit that, Talia. Done. I don't even know if it does that anymore. Right? I didn't even do that anymore. It was just back in the day. They had to memorize the first five books of the Bible. Now, you know, for you, memorizing Genesis, 50 chapters, you could do it. You guys are awesome. But get to Leviticus. Numbers. You have to memorize numbers. You want me to memorize numbers? I'm out. I'm done. Right? Think about it. So Matthew would be writing to who? To the Jewish people. Now, Matthew would have an an insign or an insignia or or a banner or a standard, okay? So whenever you think about Matthew and what he stands for, you can jot this down. It's lion, okay? Whenever you think of of Matthew, he's going to portray Jesus as the lion. That's their insignia, Matthew. Mark was written to a different group of people, okay? Mark wasn't written to Jewish people. He was actually written to the Romans, and what Mark tries to do is he tries to portray Jesus as a servant. He uses the key word immediately. It's used 80 times, immediately, immediately, okay? Now, most of the time in reference to the idea that Jesus was responding to the Father. He was a servant. You know, how do you know that? Do you realize that in the book of Mark, there is no genealogy about Jesus? And you go, Why? Because in the day when you were a servant, people didn't care about your genealogy. You're a servant. We don't need to know where you came from. Just serve. And so when Mark begins to write to the Romans and says, our, our Lord and Savior is a servant, he doesn't mess with genealogies because they would not read it. Guess who would read it? Well, the Jewish people in Matthew, why? Because they want to know where he came from. So when you read Matthew, it starts from the very beginning, does it not? And then I'll be getting, be getting, be getting David and da, da 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 all the way down to Jesus. Well, you go, well, okay, so, so Matthew is lion. Well, what is Mark? Well, if you're taking note, Mark is ox. The ensign is ox. And you go, why? Because what does an ox do? It just serves. You put an ox out there and it says, plow that thing, and it just plows. It's a servant. It's a hard worker. Well, who did Luke write to, Pastor? Luke... He was, it was written to the Gentiles. And it portrays Jesus as human, his humanity. Well, he was, he was very much fully God and fully man, but Luke. Now, let me give you something else, okay, guys? Luke was a doctor, okay? And doctors are very detailed oriented. And if you read the book of Luke, you go, why is he giving us all this information? Just give me to the point. Because Luke's a doctor. He's going to tell you why you had the symptoms. He's going to tell you exactly what's going on. He's going to give you, he's going to describe everything, right? You know what I'm talking about? That's Dr. Luke. 
Okay, now just a side note, um, he also wrote the book of Acts, so Luke, if you were to read Luke, you could write into the book of Acts, and it's the same writer, and you'll get very detailed information. Um, the key phrase in the book of Luke is, and it came to pass, and it came to pass, and he's only interested in the travels of Jesus, and you go, but then, okay, so you're saying Matthew is lying, okay? Then we, we also want to say Mark is ox. Well, what is Luke? Well, Luke is man. Luke is man, okay? Because he's going to portray Jesus as a man. And then we come to John. The, John is not a synoptic gospel. As a matter of fact, it takes us to a higher ground. In fact, 90% of the material in this letter is not found anywhere else. 90%, guys. And so that's the gospel of Luke. You go, well, what's inside? Okay, so you have Matthew, Lion, Mark, Ox, Luke, Man, and John would be Eagle. Eagle. And you go, cool. What does that mean? Let me get to you in just a second. Let me get to you in just a second. Let me give you a nugget of truth, okay? Something very important that you need to grasp. John writes this letter topically, not chronologically. John writes his letter topically, so he'll move from one set to another. Okay, guys, book of Revelation. Anybody have ever read it? You go, my goodness, it's crazy, right? Why? Because he writes topically. He'll go from heaven to earth, from heaven, then he'll give you a little, he'll, he'll just completely get away from what he's saying, and he'll give you a little bit of a, let me tell you what's going on here, and then he'll go heaven to earth. He writes topically, not chronologically. When we read the book of, of John, remember, he's going to give a topic, he's going to go here, he's going to go there, he's going to start off with, in the beginning, and he's just going to give us, and I think that's good for us. Why? Because then we can understand, oh, okay, he's not going to start with Jesus being a baby in a manger. He's going to start topically. Who does John write to? Guys, he's, he's writing to the church. Okay? He's writing to all believers. If you are in here this morning and you are a believer, a born-again follower of Jesus Christ, this letter is written to you. You're like, wow, that's cool. But let me give you a nugget of truth. You ready? Listen, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, if you read these Gospels, they all warn a group of people about the end-time events. They will all give a warning about the tribulation. Okay, Matthew 24, don't be deceived. This is what's going to happen, and you'll have the whole end-time events. Matthew, Mark, and Luke all warn people, tribulation is coming, Antichrist is coming, be ready. John doesn't do anything like that. And you go, why? What gives? There's no such warning in John, and here's why. John feels no need to write about a tribulation since, he'll, since he believes the church will be gone. He'll be raptured. It's like, wow. Isn't that the coolest thing? As a matter of fact, he gives us, Jesus gives us a promise about heaven. Look at chapter 14, 1 through 3 real quick, guys. John 14, 1 through 3. John just gave a promise about heaven. Jesus is speaking, and he says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself 
that where I am, there you may be also. This is amazing. Why? Real quick, guys, real quick. Jesus is telling you and I today, don't worry, don't be stressed. Don't let your heart right be troubled. He says, if you believe in me, if you believe in God, believe also in me. And then he gives us a beautiful, beautiful picture of a Jewish wedding. You go, how so? Okay, pay attention. Pay attention. Back in the day, guys, their marriage was completely different than ours, okay? Nowadays, you, the guy gets all, oh, I think I love you. I want to marry you. Go ask your dad. And then gets a ring and then, and then they get engaged. And then they said, oh, we're engaged and we're going to get married. And it's amazing. They put it on Facebook and all that good stuff, right? Back in Jewish times, what would happen is he would go to the girl and he would say, listen, I, I want to marry you. And it was called the betrothal period, okay? And he would be engaged. Now, he's what he would do. They would get betrothed and then he would leave her. There'd be no Saturday night dates or let's get together and work on the wedding. You know what he would do? He would say, okay, we're betrothed. Baby, I love you. I'll see you in a little while. And she would, she couldn't ask when because he's go, he would go home and he would build on a room to his father's house. That's where they're going to live. Okay, so he'd go home and he'd start building a room. Now, depending on how great a carpenter he was or whatever it was, however long it took him to build this room, once it was done, dad dad would come in and say, okay, son, it looks good. Go get your bride. At that point, the, the, the groom would grab his guys and he'd go through the streets of Jerusalem and he'd go looking and shouting for his bride. She knew, he's coming, he's coming. And then what they would do, guys, is they would have a week-long marriage. Not, not just, you know, hey, I went for the pastor, and then we went out, and, you know, we had a dance, and then the next day everybody goes home. It was a week long. They would have this great feast. And then they would consummate the marriage in that week. Doesn't that blow your mind? Why? Because... When we're taken up to heaven and there's a seven-year tribulation, guess what we're going to be doing in heaven? We're going to be having a party, right? Why? Because we're getting married. It's the marriage supper of the Lamb, and it's going to be so great. And so Jesus said, now, now look at it in light of what he said. Jesus, here's the promise of heaven. Hey, listen, I'm going to go to heaven, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if I go prepare a place for you, I'm going to come again and receive you. And where I am, there you may be also. So one of the days we're going to hear this trumpet, and then, and then our groom is going to come, and we're going to get to go and be with him. He's already preparing a place. I love that old hymn that used to sing, Just build my mansion next door to Jesus and tell the angels I'm coming home. So, Ben, who did, who did John write this? Well, guys, John, here, here it is. Ready? Jot this down. John writes a love letter to the church. And the problem is, is that there's so many people who don't understand it, but he's actually writing a love letter to the church. And that's because it's a specific love letter to a group of people. Okay? Now, let me say this, Okay? Gone is the day, I believe, of, of the love letter. You know what I'm talking about? We don't write love letters anymore. You know what we write? We write text with emojis. Heart, heart, kiss, kiss, hug, hug, right? That's what we do. But this is a love letter to us, and I found an interesting story. I found it really interesting. The other day I said, hey, listen, I'm going to go for a run, and when I go for a run, 
Okay, I usually go through the neighborhood, through the streets around the park in the neighborhood. And I'll tell you what, I find the most amazing things. Okay, I've found tools. I've found, yeah, I've found um, sockets. I've found screwdrivers. I've found quarters. You find everything out there. You, might, you won't believe what people leave on the street, right? I found baseballs. I mean, you know, I just run. I just run, look down. Oh, look at that. And I pick it up. Well, the other day I was running and I was doing my route and and I was, okay, I'm heading home, and I'm running up 98th, okay, 98th um, between University and uh, Indiana. It's, there's, it's a very busy street now, okay? And I'm just running, and I happen to look down, and I see something, right? And I'm just like, mm, and something told me, turn around and get it. I come back, and, and I grab it, right? And guess what it is? It's a love letter, it was on the streets of night. It's a, it's a love letter. Seriously. Now, I feel bad that I have it, but I'm pretty sure, I, I hope that the girl didn't throw it or whatever. I hate you. Right? But I found it. Now, I have to be careful. Why? I went home and I showed Natalie right away. Natalie, I found a love letter, right? Cause I, could you imagine if I just put this on my dresser and she's like, say what? We got some talking to do. You know, she'll be saying, you got some splaining to do and, so he writes this love letter, right? And, and it starts off like this, right? Uh, are you interested? Yeah, you guys are sick. He says, and I hope he's not listening by the radio, right? Someday he's like, that's mine. Well, you lost it. He says, first off, I love you. Whoever he's writing to. Yeah, look at this. See, they, they miss love letters. At this very second, I want you to know that I'm missing you. So there's a song. There's always a song, isn't there? And so he goes on and he writes and he says, I love you and I can't tell you how much I love you. But I won't read it all for the sake of that. But Can I tell you this? I read this love letter and it didn't mean anything to me. And I let Natalie read it and it didn't mean anything to her. And you go, of course not, Ben. It wasn't written to you. Exactly. It wasn't written to me. I have no ties to this. And that's why when people read the book of John and they go, I don't get it, because it wasn't written to you. It was written to believers. It was written to believers that go, oh, I get it. That's my Jesus. You see, the person who was supposed to get this, she missed out on some wonderful words. And see, that's exactly what, that's exactly who he's writing to, guys. He's writing a love letter to you and I. And if you come in every week and you go, okay, God, you have a love letter. What is it? You'll get to see, oh, that's me. That's me. It's your Jesus speaking to you. So, so John is going to write to the church. He writes this amazing love letter. And he's going to portray Jesus as God in the flesh. Now, let me give you something very interesting, okay? Back in the Old Testament, when the children of Israel were wandering, do you remember that? They were wandering for 40 years because of their disobedience. Whole another sermon. There were 12 tribes, okay? And they were divided into three in each tribe into four posts. They took the tabernacle, which is the dwelling place. They took the tabernacle and they put it in the center and then they would take 
each tribe and position them around the tabernacle. You guys with me? So what they would do is they go, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to start off with Judah. Judah would have their, their, their tribes and other two with them. And they said, we're going to position you on the east side. So they would say, here you are, Judah. Okay. You know what Judah was, his ensign was? Lion. Why? Lion from the tribe of Judah. So now you've got this right here. Tabernacle in the middle. Okay. Then they say, okay, next tribe, who's that? How about Ephraim? Ephraim, get assembled. Well, Ephraim would be on the west side. So now you've got, you've got west side, tabernacle, east side, and their inside would be an ox. Wow. And they say, okay, next. Next would be the tribe of Reuben. Now, Reuben was really big. Reuben was the firstborn, and they, that, that, those three tribes just made up oh, several hundred thousand. You go to the south side. So all of a sudden, here's the tabernacle. On the south side was really long. Why? There was a lot of, 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 of that tribe of the Reubenites. You know what their ensign was? Man. And Dan was a little bit smaller tribe. So they said, okay, Dan, you go to the north side, and your ensign is going to be eagle. And you go, cool. So... In the Old Testament, they were already saying what? They were already talking about the lion, the ox, the man, and the eagle. But when you look at it on paper, guys, it forms a cross with the tabernacle in the middle. Ah, I got chills when I saw that. Why? Because way back, the Lord was already preparing the people for the cross of Christ. You can't make this stuff up. Well, man, the Bible was written by men. Really? Really? I mean, the old they're talking about the insigns there. Now Matthew's like, listen, I'm going to write to the Jewish people, and I'm going to say, hey, we're, we're lying. And it's just like, you can't, guys, it's real. This thing is real. It blows your mind. You're just like, wow, Lord, I, it's, it's divine. It's from you. It's God-inspired. you got to believe it. Okay, number three, Agenda. We know, who the, we know who the author is. We know who the audience is. Let's talk about agenda, okay? Say goodbye to John 14 and, and run over to John 20 real quick. John 20, verses 30 and 31. And if you are not afraid to write in your Bible, underline it, highlight it, anything, this is a good verse. It says this, And truly Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written that you may believe in Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and believing that you have life in his name. Okay, so here's the agenda. Here's why he's writing this book. Okay, you got, this is it, right? Here's the crescendo. We're at the top of the mountain. You go, why is that? Number one is because that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. That's the whole point. The point is, before, if you get nothing else out of this, guys, you want to leave here believing that Jesus is the Christ. The word believe is very important. Why? Disciples came to Jesus one day and said, Jesus, teach us to do the works of God. And you know what he said? You want to do the works of God? He says, okay, here are the works. Make sure you pay tithe. Make sure you go to church. Make sure you serve in children's ministry. Make sure you clean the church. And you're going, Ben, he didn't say that. No, you know what he said? You want to do the works of God? Believe in Jesus. Believe in Jesus. Why? Why is that important? Because, guys, there's so many people going, well, who is Jesus? 
Who is Jesus? Was he a prophet? Was he a teacher? Was he the Messiah? Who is Jesus? As a matter of fact, they're still asking that question today. Back in January, PBS, a non-religious station, TV station, they ran a documentary called, um, let me see, I got it right here, In Search, oh, Last Days of Jesus. And here's what they try to tell us. I don't know if you saw this. I hope you don't. But here's what they try to tell us. They try to tell us that Passion Weeks, Passion Week, right? Palm Sunday to the cruise was actually six months long. You said, how does that work? Well, they said, well, see, palms, they just didn't grow real well in, in the springtime. You would get them more in the succoth, right in the, in the, in the fall. And so when Jesus came in, they laid palm branches down and then he went and hung out for six months before he came back to be crucified. This is PBS, and I'm going, no, Daniel specifically said, this is the day he's going to be riding in on a donkey. So we got to be careful, why? Because too many people are going, hey, this is Jesus. Hey, calm down. Don't be, this is, don't, don't worry about, they never referenced the scripture, guys. So we believe, guys, we believe. See, the heart of Christianity is, is a marvelous, beautiful, remarkable, astonishing person of Jesus Christ. And point number two, and believing that you may have life in his name. See, John wants you and I to experience real life, to live an abundant life. Guys, not enough. We're just tired of existing. He wants us to live. You go, what do you mean exist? Existing is you get up, you go to work, you do the same thing day in and day out, day in and day out, day in and day out. That's not, that's existing. God wants you to live, live the abundant life. As a matter of fact, he told us this. He, he taught us in John 10.10. 10. He says, guys, listen, the thief comes not to come. The thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. Jesus says, I have come that I may have life, that you may have life, and that you may have it more abundantly. That's the whole point. He wants you to have his life. He wants you to have life, and and that's the purpose of the gospel, that you would believe and that you would have life. Guys, can I close with this? Can I close with this? Have you ever been watching an infomercial late night, right, and they keep telling you, what's what's their famous quote? Wait, there's more, right? If that's not enough, there's more. You always get that. Well, there's one more I want to give you, okay? You get an added bonus. You hear, we, we saw who? The author, the audience, the agenda. Now, let me give you last, real quick, the approach. The approach, and I'll do this real quick. John focuses on three groups of seven. He's going to give us seven signs or seven miracles. Five of them are only recorded in the book of John, so you want to look for those. He's going to give us seven witnesses or seven people that, that John calls on to bear witness on who Jesus is. And then he's going to give us, and here's what I want to end with. He's going to give us the seven I am statements. And this is purposed, now listen, to meet the greatest needs of the human heart. Right? Here's application. He says, number one, I am the bread of life. And we need bread. He's going to, he says he's the sustenance that we need every day. What else does my heart need? Well, Jesus says, I am the light of the world, and my heart needs direction in darkness. I stumble in the dark. And then number three, he says, I am the door. And he gives us and he and he gives us the way to the kingdom. He enters he, he entryway to the kingdom. And then he says, I am the good shepherd. And I love that. Why? Because I need care and guidance 
and protection. I need a good shepherd. And he says, I am the resurrection and the life. And I need that. Why? Because it's hope of glory. And I'll tell you why, God, guys. If Jesus tarries one day, the oxygen from my, from, from my lungs is going to expel and I'm not going to take another breath in. And this body's going to stay right here. But my hope of glory is that exactly what he said, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the hope of glory. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. And then he goes on, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Which means he is so absolute. And then the last statement he says is, I am the vine. The way to life. The way to bear fruit and the way to stay connected. Because I know there are some of us, we feel like, man, I gave my life to the Lord and I feel wandering and I don't know what's going on and I'm just, I'm just struggling. Jesus says, I'm divine. Stay connected right here. Stay connected to me. One last reason. You ready? One last reason why we're jumping into this book. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 3.18. He says, but we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as the Spirit of the Lord. You go, Pastor, what did he say? You ready? Listen. Paul contends that we become more like Jesus when we spend time looking at Jesus. That's the goal. I want to see you all looking like Jesus. Why you got a glow on your face? Been spending time with Jesus. Why are you so happy? Your life seems like it's a wreck. Been spending time with Jesus. You know what Jesus taught me? All of this down here doesn't compare to the glory and the eternity with him. Why do you have such peace in your heart? Been spending time with Jesus. Why are these people following you to church? Been spending time with Jesus. They see it on my face. <laughs> I see it on my face. May we aglow with Jesus each and every week. Amen. Church, can I talk to you about something real quick? I mentioned a love letter. This love letter doesn't mean anything to me because it's not written to me. And the word of God doesn't mean anything to you because it's not written to you unless you're a believer. And maybe today God brought you here because he's saying, hey, I wrote a letter and I want you to believe. And you've come here today and somebody invited you and you say, Pastor, I don't even know if I'm saved. Pastor, I feel like I'm a million. I understand the whole love letter thing, man. I read the Bible and it doesn't make any sense. That's because you need his spirit. You need to be born again. You need to allow him that, to take your sins and throw them as far as the east is to the west. You need to give your life to Jesus. Well, Pastor, how? How do I give my life to Jesus? I don't even know if he knows I'm alive. Well, it's really simple. In a moment, I'm going to give you an opportunity to say yes. You go, what am I going to do? I'm just going to ask you to simply raise your hand. Well, why do I have to raise my hand? Well, listen, here's why. I want God to see your heart. And by you raising your hand, I'm going to pray for you specifically and ask that God would do a work in saving you.
What are the benefits? It's the great exchange. You're going to give him your heart. You're going to give him a heart where you go, oh, this is yucky, and you're going to give it to God, and he's going to give you a brand new heart and a brand new life. And I don't understand for the life of me who doesn't want that. I know how you feel. I was in your seat at one time. I'm sitting here. My heart's pounding. I'm going, is he talking to me? Is he talking to me? You know if the Spirit's talking to you because you can't stand it. You're like, I've got to do something. I got to, I want to, Lord, I want to be saved. I want to be saved. I want to know. I want to know that you walk with me and I want that. I want that love letter to me. And that's what I'm going to do. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your great love and thank you for what you're doing here. And I pray that your Spirit would speak to your people, Lord. Father, you're still saving people. And it doesn't matter. But God, I pray for courage and brave and, and, and those that are brave that would respond to this invitation. If you're here today and you're not right with God in any way, shape, or form, and you feel a million miles away, but you feel the tugging of the Holy Spirit for you to respond. I want to pray for you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to simply just lift up your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be saved. I want to know that I'm in a right relationship with God. I want to know that if I die today, I'm going to go to heaven because of Jesus. I want to know that. And I need prayer. And I need you, Jesus. Will you do that for me right now? I just want to give you an opportunity. You're saying, yes. So just lift up your hand and I'll see you. And then you just say, Pastor, pray for me. Just lift up your hand right now. God bless you. Anyone else? I see you back there. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else just saying, Pastor, pray for me. I want to be in a right, right, right relationship with God. God bless you in the back to my left. Anyone else? God bless you. I see you to my right. You need to ask that question, guys. Ask that question real quick. Lord, if I were to die today, would I go to heaven? And if for any reason you feel like I won't, I don't know if I will. If you're thinking I don't know, then you need to lift up your hand so I can pray for you. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. I'm saved, I'm saved, I'm saved. This is your time. God didn't, you're not here by accident. God brought you here for a reason. So just anyone else real quick. Anyone else? Father, I thank you for these hands that were raised and I thank you, God. I thank you that you're moving in the heart of your people and I thank you, Lord, that you're going to do incredible things. So Jesus, I pray for each one that you would speak to them individually and let them know, give them the assurance that you are so loving and that you are God. May you, Lord Jesus, a glow on each face in the knowledge of God. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen, amen. God bless you guys. We will see you tonight at... Hey, this is Pastor Josh. 
I hope this message has encouraged you in your walk with Jesus. If it has, we would love to hear your story of how it has impacted you, or especially if you responded to the invitation to receive Jesus into your heart as your Lord and Savior. To get in touch or to receive more information, please contact us by phone at 806-799-2227 or send an email to calvarylubbock at hotmail.com. Again, that phone number is 806-799-2227. Also, if you want to partner with us financially to take the gospel to West Texas and the world, please click on the Donate button on calvarychapellubbock.org. Thanks for listening to the podcast. May God richly bless you.